0: Hey everybody, thank you for joining me on the virtual couch and uh, to be completely frank, I don't know if this recording will ever even um, see the light of day. I don't think that's necessarily the right here. Uh, travel across the airwaves maybe, um, but I'm, I'm kind of trying something a little bit different. I had an experience that I felt was pretty profound, uh, not, not overly dramatic, but I thought it really brought... A lot of the things that I try to uh, to teach or, or things that I like to talk about all together. And it was something that happened to me uh, a little bit earlier this weekend. So I wanted to get a, a moment and a little quiet place and I wanted to kind of process this and just see if this was something that maybe could help um, somebody understand. Uh, well, here, let me kind of back up. So a lot of the work that I do is we call it thought work, mind work. It's uh, changing the automatic negative thoughts, challenging the, the negative um, self-talk, you name it. Um, because a lot of the things that, that paralyze us are just our thoughts. And it's what we think about, what we think people think about us. Um, when we overthink things, just thinking, thinking, thinking. That's why one of my favorite musicals of all time is Susicle the musical. And uh, there's the part there where Jojo, if you haven't seen it, his parents um, from Whoville, just uh, keep getting on Jojo because Jojo is thinking again. And, and kind of with the thought there that thinking is going to get Jojo in trouble. But so obviously we think, we think all the time. We're thinking beings, thinking creatures. But if you, uh, if you take a look at any given moment, if you could just sit back and observe your thoughts for 30 seconds or a minute, um, you'd probably be pretty amazed at the at the gamut that those thoughts can run. You can have happy thoughts, sad thoughts, angry thoughts, inappropriate thoughts, horrific thoughts, hilarious thoughts, um, thoughts that will make you just cry, thoughts that'll paralyze you, thoughts that'll inspire you. And yet, why do we attach such meaning to just only some of those thoughts? And typically it's the negative thoughts. It's the negative self talk and we could go we could go into some detail about why that most of us attach belief to a lot of those negative thoughts because it kind of comes from the things that we've maybe heard growing up, whether it was from well-meaning parents or not well-meaning parents or, or um, friends or, or bullies or you name it. Sometimes we even hear something that we never even tell anybody that it really has a profound effect on us, um, but, it, but it has kind of steered us in a certain direction. Uh, I, I just had a client last week talk about how they had had a teacher um, early on, I think they said it was in their middle school, during middle school, just throw out some random statement about how difficult it was to be, I believe, a writer. And so this person now is in their 40s, or maybe even pushing their early 50s. And it's just the one thing they always wanted to do. It's a regret they have. And every time they thought about trying to be a writer, they heard this teacher who just kind of and just a bit of a throwaway comment had talked about uh, how difficult it was to be a writer. So we we get these negative thoughts, this negative self-talk in our head, and then it kind of locks in. So I love talking about this concept of mindfulness. This is something that just a few years ago, I had no clue what it was about. And I'm telling you, even when I say it now, and I use this concept of mindfulness every day in my own life, and it comes up in my practice all the time. I wish I could... Uh, have a dollar for uh, how many times my clients will kind of start heading down a, a particular path and, you know, kind of expressing their frustration and, and wondering how do they how do they get out of this rut? And then I don't even I don't even try to to show an expression now, because sometimes they're be like, ah, I know it's one of those mindfulness times. It would be nice if I was doing a daily mindfulness practice. I know. And uh, and I never say that. I, I mean, to me, again, no fixing or judgment coming from me. But it but it's hard at times when I know what. Um, working with your own mind and kind of getting your thoughts to a better place, or maybe not reacting as as uh, as quickly to some of the thoughts that we might have, especially the negative ones, can just be so powerful. So so again, real quickly in the world of mindfulness, I'm a huge fan of this app called Headspace. But there are a lot of apps out there. You don't even need an app. But what Headspace did for me is it just uh, it, it kind of given gave me a ten minute daily mindfulness or meditation session to work with. Um, it's completely secular. It's just, uh, it's this nice Brit- uh, British guy named Andy. And he talks you through some in through the now mouth, in through the nose, out through the mouth breathing. And uh, really, which is going to kind of calm your heart rate. And it's going to just help you feel relaxed. And then he lets your mind go a little bit. Your mind's going to go all over the place. At first, mine would constantly say, this is ridiculous. I got stuff to do. And then he'd kind of bring you back to center or bring you back to present, maybe focusing again, just on your breathing and uh, then let your mind go a little bit more and bring it back. And and I know I'm, I'm oversimplifying, but what we're starting to learn to do when you start to take on a mindfulness practice is that when you really focus on that in through the nose, out through the mouth breathing. And, and I've had people say, oh, no, no, I know how to breathe. I, I do it every day. But uh, boy, in and out through the mouth, you're going to hyperventilate. In through the nose, out through the mouth. And for those like me who maybe struggle with the extra extra version of um, thoughts going around my head, the, the ADD um, pack of thoughts, which I have, I, I heard once at a training to on the way in, I literally say in my head in, And on the way out, I say out as I breathe in and as I breathe out. Because what happens then is if you're truly focused on your breath, guess what you're not focused on? That's the thoughts that are causing you to go crazy at times or causing you to feel down or depressed or hopeless. And so, turning your mind to the breath or breathing or present, doing a body scan, feeling your back against a chair, your, your, your bum on the seat, your feet on the floor, these are all mindfulness tools and they take practice. Uh, there's a book called 10% Happier by a guy named Dan Harris, which is wonderful. And in, in that book, he gives a lot of great anecdotal evidence as well as um, he also talks about some research. And there's a point in the book there where he talks about some research that says eight minutes a day. I believe it's at least uh, for eight weeks can start to change the neuropathways of the brain. And what happens is you're training your brain to when you turn to the breathing, the breath, that your thoughts, they they, they, they kind of stop because they know, I mean, this guy's no fun. He's going to start you know being present and breathing and not letting the brain run wild with all of these thoughts, a lot of which will get you down. So it really is a brain exercise that can change the neuropathways of your brain and it can help you. Stop these negative thoughts. Headspace has a a great cartoon pretty early on in the Headspace journey that shows uh, you sitting on the side of the road and uh, each thought is represented as a passing car on the road. And so our, our goal is to be able to just sit back and watch that flow of traffic. And but oftentimes we start to feel anxious. And so we want to go in there, we want to stop traffic, or we want to chase after one of those cars. And what that does is leaves us just feeling um, our mind feeling overwhelmed, restless. And so our goal is as soon as we recognize that's what we're doing is to get ourselves back on the side of the road, perfectly at ease in both body and mind watching those cars go by. So daily mindfulness practice. Um, I tried to do one of these uh, Headspace apps about 10 minutes a day. Now, I realize I I don't even know how long I'm in now, but I haven't told the story. Here's the story. So there's your background on mindfulness. So over the weekend, my wife and I had to, um, we had an event we needed to attend. And uh, and I'll kind of leave it at that. But you had to have a, a ticket to get in. And if you did not have your ticket, you were not getting in. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And this event was a pretty big deal. It was it was for someone else. And my wife and I had been asked to kind of help, help with this big event and help in a way that, uh, you know, they truly felt like no one else could help. So we really needed to be there. And I knew that I could find this ticket. I wasn't worried about finding this ticket. I've seen this ticket somewhere else in the house for a couple of weeks now. So we get to that morning. we had had a couple other things going on already. Had, had a nice long run. Had gone to a son's basketball game. And now it's time to, to go to this event. So my wife says, we got to make sure we find our tickets. And she finds hers, of course, because she's organized. And I can't find mine. And I have to... So here's where the mindfulness practice kicks in. So in the past, I would start to get really, really uh, anxious if I can't find something. And I start to just panic. And, and I start to just... Um, You know, I start searching all over the house. I start to get kind of down. I start going ahead and, you know, all or nothing thinking. You just go ahead, Wendy. I can't find this thing. And I found what I was doing is the second that I noticed I can't find this ticket, I turned to my breathing. I I sat there and I kind of in through the nose, out through the mouth breathing. Now, since I've been doing this for a long time now, this mindfulness practice, I really did feel like my body, my brain responded beautifully and and we kind of stayed calm because here's the big epiphany. So when we get anxious, when we start to beat ourselves up with our thoughts, and again, they're just thoughts, but when we let them take root, we let them take hold and we run with them. Now, all of a sudden, our brain gets it gets into this fight or flight mode. Um, At this point, I mean, I was fighting to find this ticket and I was ready to just take flight. I really was. Or at times it's what fight, flight or freeze. But what happens in that moment is the brain just gets flooded with adrenaline because, you know, we just I got to find this stuff. And what we learn, um, I I attended a training long ago, and I love this. I might not be saying it correctly, but it works for me, is when the brain is flooded with adrenaline, there's this executive functioning part of the brain. I believe it might be the limbic system or the amygdala. But but the reasoning part of the brain, it turns off, which makes perfect sense because when you are in fight or flight mode, if you go back to prehistoric man, he turns the corner and there's a saber-toothed tiger. You're not you don't need that reasoning part of your brain because you're not going to say, "Hey, hey, hey, bud. Hey, let's uh look, why don't we both, you know, work on the same team, Mr. Sabertooth Tiger, and let's go attack that woolly mammoth and we'll we'll split the spoils." No, your brain is like, "Ah, I got to run or I got to fight." And I, I mean, neither one of those sounds pretty good with the sabertooth tiger. So the executive functioning of the brain, the making sense part of the brain shuts down. I was so aware of that, and I looked at that as in a normal situation, if I started to get stressed about not being able to find this ticket, and my brain flooded with adrenaline, and here comes these fight or flight chemicals, guess what is not there? It's the making sense part of my brain, which now I look back at that when I've been in these situations in the past. That's when my wife says, okay, where's the last place you put it? Which, you know, in that moment, first of all, you want to say, well, I would have looked there if I, you know, I, I've already looked there, but but it's like, I don't know, I can't find it, you know, and then, okay, where? Well, where what can I do to help? Where can I go to look? And I'm like, I, in the past, I would have, because here's the fight or flight, the, the, the reasoning part of the brain shut off, and I would have been that kind of guy that's going, I don't know, I, I have no idea. I don't know. And, you know, and then, you know, that's when the part when somebody says, look, I'm just trying to help. And like, I, I don't know what to do, or I don't need your help. And that's when, you know, I think those of us who are on the the end of, the, of that equation where we're saying, look, I'm just trying to help you. You're kind of freaking out. Let me help you find it. But we're talking to somebody now whose brain is flooded with adrenaline. The fight or flight chemicals are just running rampant and they can't make sense of anything. So, take me back to this uh, situation, you know, uh, Saturday morning. And I am I, I'm doing the in through the nose out through the mouth breathing, I'm staying calm and staying calm. I was like, Okay, let me go. Here's a couple of places I think it might be. And I literally would walk very calmly over to these places and start looking at one point, I'm looking in a closet because I'm looking for my bag, this bag that might have it in my closet by the end of the week it's kind of a mess for just like throwing running shoes in there work shoes, or maybe some clothes that I haven't worn, uh, as much of and I don't want to throw in the washing machine. And so then I see that and I think in the past, I've oh my gosh, my closet's a mess and, and everything's horrible. And I, and I just thought, okay, I know that I need to try to at least find this bag so I can kind of scratch that itch and see if the, the, the ticket's in the bag. So I just, just methodically, I started focusing on picking up the clothes and putting them where they belong. And then I found the bag. I calmly walked over to my bed. I went through the bag. It wasn't there. That was okay. Um, because I was still in this good place. I was continuing to turn to the breath. I was continuing to be calm, to remain calm. Um, So at that point, long story short, although it's actually pretty long now, I did find the ticket. Um, I remembered I worked things kind of through logically, which I would not have had that part of my brain um, accessible if I would have kind of freaked out. And I found the ticket and then I was just so grateful. We went to the event, everything went great. It really, really did. And uh, on the way there, I processed this with my wife where I just thought, wow, this is that moment where all of those mindfulness practices pay off because how often... Do we find ourselves not able to find something, not able to remember something? And then we get in fight or flight mode or we get anxious and then we start to lash out at other people and other people kind of think, wait, I'm trying to help. Or if you're a parent, I have four. Actually, my, my oldest is now not a teenager any longer, but I still have three teenagers. And uh, and how many times do you find that, you know, when they are kind of uh, needing help with homework or they're behind on something or they can't find something and they go into this, you know, we as parents get calm and hey, hey just calm down. What can I do to help? But when their brain is in that locked in on that fight or flight mode and that anxiety has kicked in, uh, there's not a lot of reasoning that's going to be done. Now, what do you do? Uh, this is where I go back to more trainings that I've been to. And I, I remember one that I thought was hilarious where the person said the best thing you can do is quickly uh, take yourself to the highest point of a mountain with a complete unobstructed 360 degree view. So the point being there that, of course, now you can you can look everywhere and see that there are no saber-toothed tigers coming. So he said, of course, that's probably not at your uh, fingertips. So the second thing he said when he's in sessions or as a therapist doing it, he'll tell somebody in his office that, hey, why don't you run out to the, why don't you run out to the waiting room and grab the Time magazine there and turn to page 15. And I got to be honest, for like a half a second, I thought, oh, I wonder what's on page 15. And I'm like, wait a minute. He's talking distraction. So you're just trying to get out of your head. Um, When I had Shelly Aldrich, my colleague on the podcast, I think it was episode 32 on anxiety, she talked about how that is really where at that point we can't try to use logic. We can tap into emotion. We can ask somebody what you're feeling because the more they're kind of talking, the more that they are able to to hopefully see that there are no saber-toothed tigers present. But even better yet is to get someone to be able to, to just breathe, to just guide them through, hey, let's just take a couple of breaths. Let's just kind of go in through the nose and out through the mouth and and take them through there because here's here's the cool part here's the brain science part so what happens is when you're when you can take those breaths if your heart rate starts to slow even just a bit guess what your brain is is recognizing then your heart rate is not going to slow down if that saber tooth tiger is still there in front of you. Your heart rate will slow down if you're starting to, to feel like you've got things under control or they're heading in a good direction. So I believe that every time when I was trying to find this ticket and I'm taking these deep breaths in through the nose, out through the mouth, remaining calm, and my heart rate is not spiking, that my brain says, I think we're good. I think we can kind of keep using some reason and some logic here. So it was just an amazing experience. So um, I, I hope that uh, I hope that that can maybe help some people who who haven't necessarily been as as uh, on board with this concept of mindfulness. It's very popular. If you Google it, you'll see that there are, there are articles coming out almost daily or weekly that talk about mindfulness being a big part of um, helping with anxiety, depression, PTSD, you name it. Because really, it comes down to thought work. You know, while I've got you here, let's turn this into maybe a full podcast episode. I did a podcast long ago on inappropriate thought syndrome. And, and this one kind of goes along with some of these mindfulness principles. There's these three tenets of inappropriate thought syndrome. One of them is that everybody has inappropriate, um, odd, wacky, you know, scary thoughts, whatever they are. Um, but, but so everybody has those thoughts, but here's the key, just because you have them doesn't mean that that's who you are. So if you have a thought that, uh, I want to jump off a high building, um, when you're around one, which I, that's one that goes through my head all the time. My legs get all weird and kind of jelly legs. And I think, ah, I, I, I could totally jump now. Have I jumped? Nope. And am I going to? Nope. So everybody has these thoughts, but the second tenet of inappropriate thought syndrome is just because you have them doesn't mean that that's what you're going to do. But here's the cool one, too. The third tenet of inappropriate thought syndrome, which I think ties beautifully into mindfulness, is the concept that um, just because you have the you know following on that, just because you have the thought doesn't mean that that's you. The third tenet is thought suppression doesn't work. So um, think of that concept of when if I say right now, whatever you do, do not think of a pink elephant wearing a tutu and uh, maybe shaking one of those maracas. I added that one for, uh, I've never done that one before, but I did think about that. But so, if you tell yourself, "Don't, man, why am I having these thoughts? Stop it! Stop having these thoughts." I always say your brain is like it has this little sign, and when it, when it says it has like whatever a picture is of the thought, and it's like, "Oh, this one, this thought," and you're like, "Oh my gosh, I can't think about that." And then the brain's like, "Oh, you mean this one?" and it shows you again, and it just repeat repeatedly does that. So, um, so those things play into this whole concept of mindfulness because those those that inappropriate thought syndrome, those three tenets play into the fact that a thought is just a thought is just the thought. I got a cool book called "You Are Not Your Brain" that kind of goes into the epistemology of a thought. That was a big word, by the way. And I mean, at some point, thoughts are these electrical impulses that the brain pulls from the conscious and subconscious, and and yet we give them such meaning, such power. So, um, there's my challenge to you. So, whether you want to go find an app like Headspace, I get nothing from that, by the way. And believe me, I tried. Uh, or there's other apps out there, um, on the internets, uh, you can go to YouTube. There's some, some mindfulness things there for free. And, but there's actually one simple exercise that I do a lot. And here's what it is. When you breathe in, you take a nice, uh, in breath and, uh, you count the number one in your head. And when you breathe out, it's two. So in through the nose is one out through the mouth is two In through the nose is three out through the mouth is four. And you're only trying to get to ten. So here's what happens. It sounds simple, but if you really are just trying to focus on your breathing and counting, then you'll find that there are often times, and I just did it this morning. Uh, I was I laid back in bed this morning and and I was just uh counting my breaths and I was, I mean, I would think I was three or four breaths in, and then I was I think I was telling my wife I was uh thinking about like um like why I can't back uh Like a boat or some trailer with a truck, you know why I never learned that, and would that be the uh, to my detriment down the road? Even though we don't have a truck or a boat, so then I'm like, wait a minute, hey, I'm not doing that exercise thing. So then I and then when you notice, no beating your mind up, you just go right back to one, and in through the nose, one out through the mouth is two. So that's just a nice exercise that shows you of how when you can focus on your breathing and counting, and then when your mind, when you recognize that your mind is not doing that. Then you just gently bring it back. Um, don't beat yourself up about it. It's really not a big deal. And resume the exercise. When you get to 10, uh, give yourself an emotional pat on the back and maybe try again or just move on. But the more you do that, the more you'll, you'll really start to recognize how to stay focused on your breathing and not on your thinking. So there you go. There's my story. We found the ticket. Everybody's happy. Go mindfulness. Um, and now I will, uh, I will leave you to... Um, your thoughts on whether or not this is something that is applicable to you or not. Uh, But I hope that I hope that it resonates a bit because being able to control the mind and every time I say control the mind, I feel like I'm doing some magic trick or whatever. But being able to to just change the relationship with your thoughts in your own mind, um, the quicker we learn how to do that, the better. All right. Thank you for bearing with me here. Again, not sure if this thing will ever see the the light of day or or the airwaves. Uh, But uh, I appreciate all the support here on the virtual couch.